You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Great to have you with us. Episode 23 from the Braves booth. And we're coming to you from Arlington, Texas, Globe Life Field. It is a big old ballpark. And tonight the Braves take on the Rangers in the second game of this series. One last night. So uh, some good uh, good things last night, starting off the road trip the right way. Happy to have you with us alongside Joe Simpson and uh, Jonathan Chadwick Benning are here with you. And Joe, good to see you. And um, another episode. And uh, man, got off to a really good start last night here in Texas. Nice to play well on the road. I thought the Braves' road trip to uh, the West Coast when they went 3-4 and four against the Padres and Dodgers was a very good road trip. Uh, even though it might have been one game under 500, I thought Braves held their own against those two outstanding teams. And they get off to a good start uh, last night against a team that's uh, struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's good to beat the teams you should be beating. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And uh, did that last night. We'll see what happens tonight. Lots of things that we can talk about. First off, I want to throw the email address out there. Our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, we'll get to your questions and comments a little bit later in our show. But if you have any emails uh, that you'd like to send our way for a future episode, you can do that, bravesbooth at gmail.com. So Braves won last night over the Rangers 6-3. We got to see the first Braves inside the park home run since 2016 and the first ever inside the park home run in this ballpark. Travis DeMerritt hit it. That was a thrill last night. I quit watching the defender, uh, Garcia. I knew he was chasing the ball, but I was uh, finding – Uh, Travis to see where he was relative to the outfield chase and honestly when he rounded second he looked like an Olympic sprinter his head was bobbing up and down and he was really motoring and he also hit second base and third base in perfect stride he didn't have to stutter step or lunge for either one of those bases and that helped a lot how hard is that to do is that just luck uh, mostly it is. Okay. And over time with experience, you learn how uh, not to time it. It's just that if you know I'm not going to be able to hit this in stride, how to do it in such a way that it doesn't really break your stride too much to keep going. Well, the Braves have a game tonight and then another one here in Texas. And don't want to look past this series because this is an opportunity for the Braves to take a series. But right after this, we go to New York. That's going to be a huge series. It'll be the first time the Braves have seen the Mets. It'll be four games in three days. We'll see a doubleheader on Tuesday and the Braves as of now has have not announced a starter for tomorrow I'm sure that's something you'll you'll check in with Snit about before this ball game they, they still may not give an answer till after tonight's right. game right but it wouldn't shock me at all if they gave Max an extra day tomorrow because I think he's scheduled to go tomorrow or at least on time to go tomorrow and and push him to Monday and that way you can roll out Freed Morton, um, Kyle. Uh, I guess you could be back to Ian Anderson yeah. by the final game. You could send your best pitchers out there against the Mets in that four games in three days. Yeah, Ian could go Wednesday, the last day of that series. So uh, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be an immediate test 
uh, for the Braves, but I think more so for the Mets, who are in first place and have a nice lead. They're playing great baseball. They have the best record in the National League, if not all of baseball, depending on what happened last night. Um, But they want to know how good they really are, and they won't know until they match up with Atlanta. And if they see Atlanta's best starters, they'll have a pretty good idea. But it should be a lot of fun. I think it should, too. I mean, the Braves are the team to beat, and it's nice to have a good start. Everybody wants that. We have seen the Mets get out to really good starts for several years. It really feels like the last three or four years they've had a great April, and that'll be the best month they have all year long right and if the season was 30 days long well yeah they'd be in really good shape but you get into the second half of the season and and that's when their light has flickered and they've run out of gas and that's when the braves especially last year really kicked it in and to win four straight divisions that's when the braves are their strongest and that's what the mets are trying to do if this were 2020 and you're only playing a 60 game schedule there'd be cause for concern to have somebody jump out like this last year nobody in the division played great baseball and we kept looking at the standings the braves are scuffed their sub 500 but nobody was running off and leaving anyone we kept saying that we kept kept re- reiterating to our fans that uh, well no one's jumped out there and it- taking a five or six game lead so uh let's not panic let's get back on track and that is not the case this year Mm -hmm. we don't have that luxury and the braves are a game under 500 could get back to 500 if they win tonight but the mets are playing good baseball and you can't let them get too far out of sight yeah that's the case and that'll be fun to see that series up in new york i think anytime the braves and the mets get together this year they'll view each other as that's the team we got to get by to, to win the division and vice versa and it all starts on the mound for both teams. I mean, it, it's no surprise that what the Mets have done, it all starts on the mound. The same the, the same way that we talk about a pitcher, an individual pitcher having success and it starts with his fastball, it's the same way for a team. It starts on the mound. You have to run the bases well. You have to play defense. You, you obviously got to score runs. But it, it, we've seen it be the case for the Braves. It, it really doesn't matter what else is going on or not going on. If your starting pitching isn't there, it hasn't worked. And, and that's why the Braves have looked so good the last few nights. I agree. Um, Ian didn't get off to a good start, but it looks like he's uh, righted the ship. He's last uh, two starts in particular, last two and a half starts, if you want to go back that far. It's like he's found um, uh, the Ian Anderson mechanics and release point. It's not perfect yet, but it's much better than when he started. Likewise, uh, last year and this year, Max Fried got off to slow starts. He was getting knocked around. He wasn't locating his pitches like he wants to suddenly he is and he's put together uh, uh, some real good starts his last two or three and I expect his next start to be even better the only guy right now that I think is scuffling is Charlie mm-hmm. and Charlie wasn't uh, you know burning the world up last year at the beginning of the year either and then he got it turned around he's been around long enough to know what he's got to do and I don't have any concerns at all about him having a good start his next time out I'm right there with you if I had to choose one guy in the rotation to get off to a slow start it'd probably be him because I have the most confidence in his experience his ability to figure it out and turning turn in a really good season what we've seen out of Kyle Wright is incredible I mean he's put together a first month of the season that is as good as anybody in the big leagues right now agreed when we saw him in spring training we got some brief glimpses of Kyle in in uh, at Northport and on the road and there were glimpses of this which made you feel good like like, wow, what's Kyle done? What what is where'd this come from? And you knew it was spring training. 
It was two innings glimpses or three inning glimpses, but it wasn't the big leagues. Right. It's spring training. And what he's doing right now with the dominance and the aggressiveness that he is showing and the look on his face, there is a tremendous focus that hasn't been there before. And it is really fun to watch. And I don't have any qualms in saying he is the ace of the staff right now. I think so. And his stuff is different. And what I mean by that is maybe his stuff isn't different, but how he uses it is very different. Looks like a different pitcher. If we go back two, three years, a lot more sinkers, a ton more sliders. And, and it's it's as if something took place last year where he said, let me get back to what I was doing when they drafted me in the first round. So more curveballs. His fastball was always really good, but location was the key. He's locating it at a different place now. He's going up and living up with that 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball, and they can't touch it. And I was talking with Peter Moreland, uh, Peter Moreland the other day and he said another thing that he's doing that's really throwing batters off is his changeup and his two seamer look identical to batters coming out and, and they're completely thrown off and and those are four big changes right there that he has taken on curveball fastball location uh the changeup and the two seamer usage and how they look and it's made him a dominant pitcher and just knowing that that was in there all along i i just love the fact that he's doing it with atlanta that they didn't trade him, and he's doing this with Detroit or whomever. The fact that he's doing it for the Braves is huge. Absolutely it is. He threw a pitch, uh, his last start, to Wilson Contreras, uh, that last game at home, that I think kind of emphasized what he's doing. And it was a changeup, and he struck him out kind of turned it over a little bit, a circle change that he threw inside that ran in on Wilson Contreras, and it tied him up. Yeah. The timing was off on his swing set and such that he couldn't get the bat through and struck him out on that pitch. And it wasn't like there was a difference between 94 and 84. It was like an 88-mile-an-hour pitch that had some movement that ran in on Contreras, and it was his changeup. And it was an awesome pitch, and I was stunned by it because I hadn't seen him do that before. Yeah, and it's another thing, too, thinking about the batter. When you get a bad swing by a major league player, that's one thing. But when it's from a player that you don't see too many out of, that shows you. I mean, yeah. even the best of the best are having a difficult time right. seeing him, timing him, and getting locked up. Well, we learned something from Paul Davis, the Braves minor league pitching coordinator, about uh, some things they tried to do with Kyle Wright and Gwinnett last year. And the wise thing that the organization did was just leave him down there to work on his whole season. And he had a really good second half after working on some of his mechanical issues. But the one thing that Paul told us that they're trying to emphasize to all of the pitchers is to work on your strengths. Pitch to your strengths, not to the weaknesses of the hitters. Make the hitters adjust to your strengths. And I think that's exactly what Kyle's doing right now. He is just letting it fly mm-hmm. and using his good fastball up, like you talked about, his curveball and changeup. And it's up to the hitters to adjust now, and he's just attacking, and I love it. That makes so much sense because in my mind, hearing that, that seems like it simplifies things so much for a pitcher. Obviously, you still have scouting reports. There are some guys you want to attack differently than other guys. 
But that doesn't dictate every move that you're going to make. I like the fact that it's a pitcher going out there and saying, okay, never mind all that. Here's what I do, and this is what I'm confident in doing, and this is what I'm going to do. And that's led to success for him. It's been a great thing to watch every five days. Well, stage two of that could be, in my opinion, uh, that once you've established all of your good stuff and it's on the hitter to adjust, is that uh, let's take a guy like Jacob deGrom, for example, who's got all of these different pitches that he uses just beautifully when he's healthy. And then now he has such confidence in those pitches, now he can attack your weaknesses. Right. Now he can say, oh, I know I can use uh, my two-seamer on Freddie Freeman or whomever uh, because of of what he knows having faced that hitter before. Once Kyle gets through the league and starts knowing some of these hitters even more, that's when he'll be able to use his stuff versus a hitter's weakness. That's that's, that's going to be fun to watch. I like the other part of that that Paul told you about when it comes to Kyle Wright he did all these things now he's where you want him to be the next pupil is Tukey yeah because he could do the same thing yeah Paul Paul felt like that Tukey Toussaint was ready to bust out just like Kyle because he's working on those same things to identify his strengths so let's hope that he's not too far away Uh, one other player I want to ask you about we saw Ronald Acuna back for the first time in 10 and a half months or whatever it was and he was on base a few times he did not play last night we'll see him dh tonight and we'll i know they're going to continue to ease him in that way um but just the energy he brings i think made a difference just having him at the top of the order uh, having his presence there knowing how dangerous of a player he is moving ozzy down to five i mean it really lengthened the lineup a ton when he was in there it did and not to mention uh going back to last night having travis demerit do what he did at the top mm-hmm. of the order uh that certainly helps when you've got a little more depth up there and you can use ozzy in the five hole uh what i saw from ronald i think was what everybody saw and that was a guy that didn't seem to be hindered in any way from his knee surgery Uh, I didn't even notice that he was wearing a knee brace maybe he had on a sleeve you know right keep his knee warm whatever but there didn't appear to be one of those bulky Sid Bream braces on on him and he said he actually said that he felt a little faster because of all the work he's put on put in to strengthen his legs I thought that was that made a lot of sense and I I was impressed by that but uh, he uh, he was he was nervous he admitted to being nervous and excited or the adrenaline whatever uh his first couple of at bats but uh getting some more at bats tonight he'll be settled right in and i love it Had two steals yeah i think the team had just three in the whole rest of the season prior to that you're right he tied for the team lead (laughs) (laughs) in in about two hours yeah yeah that was great and and just having him up there um and and knowing all the things he can do is great one other guy i want to ask you about is a guy that we both love um and that's Ozzy. A lot of times when it comes to players, we're talking about what they do at the plate or you know what this pitcher may do. Ozzy does so many things, and so many things that you can't even quantify statistically, put on the back of a baseball card, et cetera. And my comment to you was just a little while ago before we went on the air, we were watching his conversation with Marcelo Ozuna last night, and Ozzy was, uh, was beside himself that Ozuna didn't score on that uh, wild pitch last night late in the game. He's just such a good energy guy. And yet, he, it seems like he's wise beyond his years and so valuable to have on your ball club. I just love watching him every single day. I think the great thing, too, one of the other great things about Ozzy is he's bilingual. And he can communicate. He can raz, He can get on 
guys that speak Spanish, speak English, whatever the case might be. He speaks five languages, so, t- mm-hmm. so, so pick a player. Right. Uh, he can do it in such a way, too, as a veteran and a guy who's been there and done that and been successful. He can do it, and the players have the respect of a guy like that who uh, knows from where he came. You yeah. know, it's not some rookie that's uh, popping off or getting on you. He's telling you and he's trying to impress upon you uh, the importance of doing things the right way or being heads up and keeping your head in the game. I love it. Yeah. And he's a funny guy. Yeah. We checked into the hotel the other night, and, and the three of us, being the idiots we are, we got on the plane in our cowboy gear. We had on our hats and our bolos and our oh, yeah. belt buckles. And I, Ozzy comes up to me in the lobby and he says, Are you guys going to ride a horse? <laughs> I said, yep, the biggest one in town. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just great to be around. And uh, yeah, glad he's on our team. That's for sure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, Our email address, bravesbooth at gmail.com. We have lots of really good questions per usual. Uh, You guys always send in some really good questions, and uh, we can dive right into those. I know JC's going to join us here in a little while, and we can start right off the top as Rob emails in and says, what are your first impressions of the new stadium in Texas? And I thought that was fun to talk about last night because the three of us had never been here before. We were really hopeful we would be here two years ago during the COVID season for the NLCS. That didn't work out. Had the Braves won, the three of us were going to be sent here to call the World Series. Didn't happen. Fortunately, we checked that one off last year. Yep. But um, lots of thoughts being here uh, for the very first time and got a good walk around the ballpark yesterday. And it's just absolutely enormous it is uh the size and the immense height and width and everything else of this ballpark uh kind of gets your attention there as you said last night ben there's everywhere you look there's something else to look at Uh, it it takes your eyes away from the field a little bit Uh, it's a, a great ballpark and the dome stadiums the retractable roof stadiums are becoming uh, almost blasé because everybody's got one, mm-hmm. you know. But this is a cool one, and they needed one here for the heat and the humidity of the summers here. And uh, I'm sure the fans, the local uh, Rangers fans, are thrilled with it. it. It's just beautiful. There's some things about it that look kind of quirky in a way, but uh, nothing that makes you go, what in the world were they thinking there? It's, it's nice. It is. And I'm hopeful they'll have the roof open tonight. They told us that that was the plan. Uh, if the temperature is under 80 degrees, they'll open it up for night games. And I think that's supposed to be the case tonight. It was very windy here in Texas last night, so they had it closed. So I'd love to see it open tonight. Uh, what about you, JC, as you jump, uh, jump in and chime in with us? I love the place. I think it's awesome. Uh, it's As Joe said, it's big, it's spacious. As far as our booth goes, uh, this is one of the best visiting radio booths in the big league. It has to be. Um, it's, it's, it's really big. It's comfortable. There's enough space in here for all of us to where I'm not encroaching Joe's space. Yeah, we don't have to have a loiter line. Even though last <laughs> night during game one, you did put up a temporary line. I was a little afraid you were going to fall over that counter. 
Yeah, well, I guess you can't be too safe. No, it's right. I, it's better than me going to get you a helmet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this place is great. Uh, I think it's beautiful. It's brand new. And any place, as I've told both of you before, with a roof, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if, if the three of us had a choice, we had our druthers, we'd like to be about 100 feet lower. Right. We're still extremely high. And we're kind of uh, looking over the top of the stadium like we're looking at it from the, the roof line. But um, aside from that, it's it's a great place. Yeah, I think this is the only place oh, here in maybe Washington. I can't really remember with Pittsburgh. But we're sitting in the booth, and I'm looking. I can see the top of the foul poles. I can yeah. see the very top of them. Yeah, we're higher. So we're, we're higher than the tops of the foul poles yeah. here. Our microphones here in this big, wide booth are, what do you think, are about eight feet apart? I mean, yeah. it is a really long counter. They have these really nice monitors for us here, so we can make sure we see everything because we are extremely high, so there might be something you miss. So um, it is nice. I think we've all enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully get a chance to come back here very soon. Absolutely. Great food in the press room last night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. My gosh, I'm, I'm hoping for leftovers. Uh, I, for fans that don't know, I mean, in the past, in the good old days, every stadium, every ballpark had a press room, which meant there was a place for the written press, for the broadcasters, and everybody associated with that to go eat dinner before the game starts. And some places, some ballparks were better than others. Some were known for being outstanding, like Philadelphia, and some were not that will remain unidentified, unnamed. But those have been kind of phased out. Teams have gotten away from that in the new stadiums. Uh, maybe you get a, a pre-wrapped sandwich or you get uh, you have to order something from a concession stand or what have you. They got a full-blown press room here at Globe Life Field. It is terrific. They had a great dinner last night, a buffet-type dinner that was chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, green beans, and a big salad bar. And I was in hog <laughs> Heaven. <laughs> Had a big tub of gravy. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Could have oh. done a could have done the backstroke in that gravy. <laughs> Absolutely. The ice cream machine worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some soft serve. We're gonna put on fifteen pounds by the time we get out of here tomorrow. I'm proud. I'm proud of the Rangers for uh, maintaining that that tradition and having a press or, or a genuine press room. Uh, way to go. Way to go, Rangers. Uh, this is from Amber who says, you guys looked hot in your boots and bolos. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you guys have anything else planned for any trips this season? I will start first, Amber, and say, anytime you think that I look hot, I'll do whatever you ask. Yeah, I will wear exactly. whatever you want. Hey, girl. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Um, no, I know we do. We're pretty uh, holiday-oriented, but it also this one fit for this trip to Texas, so I'm sure there'll be some more. Any excuse to put our boots on, yeah. we're going to do it. Yeah. And as far as anything planned at the moment, I would just say stay tuned. Good call. Yeah, we'll come up with something. We usually do. We've had a few of those through the years. What do you got, JC? This question comes from Roger. He said, while it's only been a couple of games, how big is it to have Ronald back? It seems like they're playing with a lot of confidence since his return. I'd say it's enormous just because he's such a weapon. And we talked about this a little bit a moment ago, Joe, with all the things he can do. But he's just such a dynamic weapon. 
And when he's healthy, he's one of the best players in the game. Right. Not just one of the best players on the team. He's one of the top five, ten players in the game. And he can do so many things. And when he was injured last season, he played 82 games. I think he had 24 bombs. He's leading the league in war. Uh, just a tremendous weapon. And having him back and having his energy and everything he can do, it's, it makes him really dangerous. Two years ago, he was three stolen bases from being a 40-40 guy. Yeah. That's how versatile he is. But you know what was cool? After, after the game the other night, night um the thing that most everybody to a man was talking about on the club was the defensive play he made where he played that ball off the wall off the bat of jason hayward and held him to a single instead of allowing a double that might have led to a run in a close game and at the time i think the braves were up one to nothing his defense was what stood out to everybody and how and his great arm so uh, don't forget about that aspect five tool player yeah I and mean, all he can do everything you name it and i think having him back as well gives brian snitker a little bit more flexibility with his lineup to be able to do a few different things as far as who he's going to rotate in and out of the outfield and who's going to dh but yeah they do look like they're confident with him that's a good call jay chad that's a perfect segue into this question from ed who says travis demerit has been a nice addition do you guys think he has a chance to stick i'd say absolutely and, and going back to something that you and i discussed and, and i know that jim brought up when we were broadcasting uh, back home for that cub series was that this is probably his last chance i don't want to say that if it doesn't work out he's never gonna be in the big leagues again but he's 27 almost 28 so i know he thinks if i'm not going to make it right now when am i going to make it and with what we've seen out of him with his speed hit the inside of the park home run last night hit another home run the opposite way at truest the other night defensively can put him at either corner and be fine i think with the rotation that they're looking to have in the outfield uh, with the guys that they have and and now a dh he fits in great i think he does too you know, we talk at times about uh, or uh, kind of the smirk, smirk conversation about uh, a certain player who is having a great year. And the, and the first thing out of anybody's mouth is, yeah, well, it's his option year. He's going to be a free agent. So all of a sudden he's playing hard, mm-hmm. you know, and he's getting all the most out of his ability. He's not sitting on a contract. Those thoughts and comments are, are made about a guy that's about to be a free agent. Well, that same type of mental attitude applies to a guy like Travis. He's not going to be a free agent, but he might not be anywhere. Right. Like you said, he doesn't know how many more chances he's going to get, and he's not going to let this one slip. He's not going to let an opportunity slide, and he's playing like it. Yeah, it's been fun to watch him. And um, I, I like how when you when you navigate yourself through the odyssey of a season, because it's a long way. You have your stars that you count on. I mean, you, you know what you're going to get out of Ozzie and Ronald and Max, etc. But if you're going to do what the Braves did last year, it's never just those guys. You need other guys in stretches who can really contribute to the ball club in a major way. Travis is doing that over the mm-hmm. last few ball games, and that's what it takes. Um, if you want to make it to the end of October and be the last team standing, it can't be just your two or three superstars. you got to have a roster full of guys that make con- uh, contributions, and that's what Travis can beat in in my opinion. Here's something else, too, and that is, in my opinion, uh, something that Snit saw in spring training. You know, when you need to call somebody up, you know, I, I don't know how it works between he and Alex. You know, if Alex is, you know, who do you want? Here's some guys that, here's who's hot, who's who's not at, uh, at Gwinnett or even in Double A Jackson. Uh, but 
you know that some of the things that Travis did in spring training stuck in Brian Snitker's right. head. That, uh, you know what, I liked what I saw, how he was playing, and he's got some pop in his bat. Let's give Travis a shot. He earned it. Yeah. And he's I, making the most out of it. I love it. I, I love it when a guy like Travis is doing what he's doing. I think you guys pretty much covered it, but to answer the question, if he ke- keeps contributing the way that he has, of course he's going to stick. Yeah. What do you guys have? Uh, this is from Adam. And we kind of touched on this a little bit. Once Charlie Morton settles in and finds his groove again, I think the Braves can take off. In your opinion, what has led to some of his early season struggles? And uh, my answer to that, Adam, would be, A, I don't know uh, specifically, other than he's 38 years old. You know, it might just, it takes some guys a little longer to get loose, uh-huh. you know, and to get going and to get into the flow of the season. And He's I was off the leg injury, too. Oh, gosh, I forget about that. Yeah. So um, there's some contributing factors to this, none of which I, that to my knowledge, have anything to, to do with a sore arm or anything other than recovery from the leg injury. Yeah, he's going to be fine. JC, this one from Kathy. I think you need to put that one on the tee for us. Yeah, uh, specifically directed towards Joe. He's been around the longest. Kathy would like to know, how do the announcers know where the people that catch the foul balls are from? (laughs) It amazes me. Well, there's two answers here, Kathy. A, he doesn't really know. But then that would just be us dogging him and making fun of him, (laughs) which we like to do all the time. That would be the TV play-by-play guy, and you know him well. But the other side is he's got a map. He's got a map (laughs) of the stadium, and he knows where each person is sitting based on the diagram of the map. And and section by section, row by row, he's got a real good grip on uh, where everybody's sitting on that particular night. And, and got it memorized, I guess. I mean, to we look wait, down. It, and... It's taped to his count to the counter in front of him. <laughs> you know, foul ball off to left behind the Braves dugout, and he looks down and goes, "Yeah, row four. Okay, yeah, that was Charlie from Carrollton." <laughs> <laughs> it's in, it's incredible. It is that he he has all that information. That's amazing. Uh, this is right up my alley from Tucker. Champions week aside, the Braves haven't worn any alternate uniforms this year. No Friday night red, no road alternate navy, and no Sunday cream uniforms. Any idea why and if that will continue? So, Tucker, I know you probably sent this email in before last night. Last night was the first road game the Braves wore the navy blue alternates. So, we checked that box there. They've had the one Friday night game, and they didn't wear the reds. And, Joe, you heard on the, was it the Phillies broadcast? Phillies, yeah. This might answer the question for the Braves. I don't know this specifically but go ahead and fire away with what you heard yeah thursday afternoon when i was driving up back up to atlanta i was listening to the phillies broadcast and they had their thursday throwback powder blue uniforms on pants and shirts which are really good looking by the way with some uh kind of maroonish trim but they they weren't in they, they couldn't have worn them before last Thursday because they didn't have them yet. The supply line. The supply issue. line thing. And they it's like they got their pants in one day and the shirts had to come in. Uh-huh. So they had to wait till they had the full uniform. I'm not saying that's what happened with the Braves with those uniform choices. But it's quite possible that the supply line chain thing affected the ability to have those opportunities, yeah, have those if, options. If we get into May and they still haven't worn the Friday night reds, then... 
Well, I'll definitely ask. I'll get to the bottom of that. Speaking of alternates, we're going to see some great ones tonight. The Rangers are wearing their 72 alternates tonight. They look really cool. I think those are the first unis they ever wore. In they Texas. were. They it's, were. It's part of their 50th anniversary logo, too, that uh, cowboy, that Stetson hat. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. The baseball. Uh-huh. As far as why the Braves haven't wore, worn the home reds on the Friday, remember, too, the first Friday night game of the season, they were wearing the, the, the gold-trimmed uniforms. Right. That's true. So I'm sure that was part of that. Why they didn't against the Marlins last Friday, it, it could have been something as simple as whoever was pitching that night, their preference was the home white. We yeah. don't know. But as Ben said, certainly something we'll have to ask about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, This question comes from Jeff. He said, are you guys as amazed as me watching Jesse Chavez pitch? The dude throws strikes and fears nothing. Love the podcast. We all love Jesse. And you'd love him even more if you saw the the, the lids he wore. (laughs) He got some cool hats with flat brims, you know, Stetson-type hats, but flat brims and uh, feathers in them. Really cool. What's the what's the singer's name? Pharrell. Yeah. Where's yeah. that hat with it's got a kind of a cone head top on it? Right. Well, Jesse's are usually flat topped and flat brimmed, but he's got some. Re- Jesse's a style master. Love him. He's 38 years old or something. And as uh, the writer, as that person, that fan says, he doesn't fear anybody or anything, and he's just going to throw strikes and and let the chips fall where they may. That was going to be my answer. If you want to be in the big leagues at 38, you better throw strikes. Yeah. And he's done that for years. What do you got, Joe? Oh, let's see. This is a two-part question from Trent in Elk Grove, California. With regards to Eddie Rosario's eye surgery, if it was an issue at the time of his contract, are eye tests one of the steps a team takes when performing the physical? If not, isn't it incumbent to the player to disclose this issue? I would assume he means prior to signing the contract. So let's start with that question first. And Trent, I don't know if an eye test is part of the physical. I'm going to assume it is. But this might be something that developed uh, during spring training, Mm -hmm. you know, or in the last couple of weeks that needed attention. That's my hunch that that's the case. I don't know that. But 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 the reason I say that is they threw out a recovery time of 8 to 12 weeks. This is not LASIK surgery. I've had LASIK surgery. I went to dinner that night. Right. I had LASIK surgery in the afternoon. I took a three-hour nap. I was at dinner that night. I was good to go. Dan Ugla had LASIK surgery for the Braves eight, nine years ago. He played the next night, I, I want to say. Greg Maddox pitched the next yeah, night. Yeah, exactly. So this is not that. There was some speculation that there could be a hole in the retina. Uh, that would take time, obviously. But this is something with the swelling that took place uh, and, and the blurred vision. It, it all adds up to me because the guy that we saw in the first two weeks of the season, not the guy we saw last year, dropped the pop-up in right field. Uh, couldn't make contact with a baseball. I mean, it was one for 30 or whatever it was. Uh, that tells me this is a lot more than just something that might pop up on a physical. I think this is probably something a little bit more severe that 
came about over the last month or so, and uh, I'm looking forward to having him back in there with perfect eyesight again. Uh, I'm a very good example of semi-surgery, um, at least in terms of experience. In the last two years or two and a half, I've had uh, multiple surgeries on my right eye, and the first one was for what they call, what the eye doctors called, puckering. Puckering is something that develops, like cells that develop on the inside in the back of your eyeball, but on the inside. And it affects how the retina handles the light that's coming in and refracted back because it distorts it. And the way it was described to me was like cellophane. It's like cellophane was kind of wadded up mm-hmm. in there. Was that a gradual thing? It was. It was. And you think that it's just going to go away or, you know, it's not a big deal. But they had to do surgery. And the way they did it was to go in and literally peel that layer of cells, that puckering, like you would peel a piece of cellophane off the inside of the back of your eye, uh-huh. believe it or not. Now, that's, that's not... Uh, something you bounce back from like laser surgery right you know you gotta wait for that to heal it takes time i had a secondary surgery that actually was to repair a torn retina that was a good eight to 12 weeks you gotta you gotta sleep lying on your stomach you you can't do certain things to jolt your eye i can understand how if eddie's surgery is to repair a retina injury like like i had a tear I can see very well how it's an eight to twelve week yeah. recovery, but I'm not. I'm not saying that it's the same as what I went through. I'm just telling you what my experience was. Well, if it deals with the retina, which his does, yes. and, and yours was, yes, you can see that there could be some similarities, especially Absol- in the healing process. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not a. It's not a one or. It's not a ten day injury list recovery thing right. at all. Right. Uh, what was the second part of that question? Uh, hang on a second. Or the second question there. From Trent, number two, coming off the first road trip of the season, what do you guys remember about your first ever MLB road trip, especially riding on a team charter? Oh, that's a good question. Thanks for all your insight. What's yours, Joe? I can't wait to hear this one. Well, mine was as a player. I mean, I go back so far that when I was with Seattle, uh, we flew commercially a lot. Really? Yeah. But my first team charter was with the Dodgers. And the Dodgers had their own plane. They owned their own Boeing 707. They had their own pilot. Uh, the pilot's wife was the the flight attendant. Really? Yeah. Did they have the logo painted on the plane and all that? They did. Really? They did. And um, there were seats, even uh, custom seats built in for, for card games. And it, it was an outstanding luxury to have. And I just remember what I... The first time I got on that plane was I want to make sure I didn't sit in somebody's seat. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd kind of walk and I'd look like, yeah, can I sit here? Oh, that's so-and-so's seat. I'm back, rookie. <laughs> so naturally, I wound up in the back of the plane trying to find a corner to hole up in to make sure I didn't sit in somebody's place. So that's my first recollection was how cool the plane was, how awesome the food was, but making sure I didn't get in anybody's way. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no walking on eggshells quite like being on your first charter. Yeah. You, know, you want to make sure you do everything the right way. How about you, JC? It was 2013. We were going to L.A., and I remember I was a nervous wreck. I was scared to 
death. Uh, I was sitting next to Mark Lemke on the plane, and um, postseason. It was the postseason. Uh, just trying not to stand out, uh, or or even look really at anybody in the eye. Like I said, I was scared to death. Um, I remember specifically, Ben, you probably remember this. You were definitely on this trip. Uh, B.J. Upton, at the time when I got on the plane, he, he looked at the tie I was wearing and told me never to wear that tie again. <laughs> that was that trip? That was that, your first trip? That was my first trip. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, Gerald Laird uh, was was going on and on about my hair and the loafers that I was wearing. <laughs> I was just getting completely dissected. And B.J. Upton said, bro, don't ever wear that tie again. Tell him what, you, what he called you. Remember, he said, you look like a dork. Oh, yeah. He said, you look like a dork. Don't ever wear that tie again. <laughs> oh, welcome. Welcome to the big leagues. Yeah. JC. <laughs> and the other funny part about that trip, like I said, long flight going out to the West Coast. And a lot of the players had a pool going on where everybody threw in whatever amount of money it was. And whoever got the closest to the exact minute that the plan landed at LAX got the pot. And it was funny because a lot of guys were close as we were starting our descent. And I remember Gerald Lair getting on the intercom telling the pilot to land this bird. He said, put this bird on the ground now. <laughs> he had like one minute. Um, let's see. My first trip was to New York, 2011. Um, and, and all I could think of, I kept thinking about my first road trip in high school in ninth grade. First baseball trip, and I said, I was sitting, sitting by the equipment in, in a cold bus. You know, it was early. It was like February, so you're freezing. You're in a in the cheese, riding the cheese. Yeah. And I'm in the ninth grade and sitting next to all the equipment and, and thinking like, oh, man, this is rough. And then I was all I could think about was that and how different this is, being on the charter and seeing all the food. I was overwhelmed with all the food. Chick-fil-A the second you get on. Here's a menu. And I was just... I was looking to Don for instructions because I was on the trip with Don. And Don's telling me, and of course we're going to New York. And Don had, he's going to be Don in New York. Sure. And he said, don't eat on the plane. Meet me in the lobby 20 minutes after we check in. He had the whole thing planned out. And we go to some restaurant. They all know him. He's got a wine locker there. And they're bringing this stuff out. I'm thinking, this is, this is next level. Yeah. I mean, this is unbelievable. I knew it would be good, but I didn't know it would be like this. And every trip ever since is just, it, it's still mind-blowing to me how great it is to travel in the big league, especially after traveling in the minor leagues for six years. Don used to tell me that, too. Don't eat. We're going to this such-and-such such restaurant. I'd eat anyway. Yeah. And then I'd still go. <laughs> was, he would have dinner reservations two years in advance. Yeah. He'd see the schedule like, oh, we have a, an off day two years from now in June in uh, New York. I'll go ahead and make dinner reservations. Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing in uh, August on that uh, off night in Miami, <laughs> I, Don? I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Right. I think I kind of inherited that because I like to look at the schedule in advance and see where we're going to have the off night, and then make a dinner reservation. You know, somewhere awesome that we all like to go. Got to make it count. We don't get yeah, a bunch of them. You know, I remember. I know we've. I think we've told this story before last year, but the the first time I went to New York with the Braves, and same thing with Don where he said, you know, meet in the lobby. We had an off day. And he said, meet me in the lobby at 5 p.m. We're going to dinner. I had no idea where we were going. We wound up going to Patsy's in New York. He said it was Frank Sinatra's favorite place. And I get down to the lobby, and, you know, the bellman and everybody knew who Don was. And next thing I know, Don has a limo out front. 
and we're in that limo riding through New York City and you know kind of like what Ben was saying it's like this is unbelievable well yeah but back up just a minute as soon as you got off the elevator that that bellman told you get that tie off dude <laughs> yeah you look like a dork uh, I'll have yeah. to bring that tie in sometime and show you guys I think I still have it yeah we ought to hang it in the in the radio booth we somewhere. should put it on the wall yeah. yeah Don pulled up in that limo and the inside of it looked like Studio 54 it had all these lights and everything in there and I knew I wasn't in Mississippi anymore once we got inside that thing. Let's talk about that for a second. Not about Mississippi, but about Don. We all miss him. Uh, There was nothing short when it came to being big league about Don Sutton. He loved living like a big leaguer. He liked treating people like a big leaguer and wanted to be treated the same. But he grew up in the Dodger organization. He was treated uh, in a hand-me-down way. Let me explain. All the guys that came before him in the Dodger organization were taught by someone else uh-huh. how to take care of the rookies. You're making more money than the rookies. Take care of them. Show them around. Show them the ropes. That's how Bill Russell, the shortstop for the Dodgers way back, that's how he got his nickname, Ropes, because they all he was a kid and they just somebody needed to show him the ropes. Don, as you know, you both know, reveled in that. Mm-hmm. He loved taking young guys to dinner, showing them the ropes, showing them something about a city that they didn't know before, and he was really, really good at it. He had a a phrase that I thought was perfect, the custodian of the culture. Mm -hmm. And he he would always point to guys on the team, players that would do that with rookies. And I know that, uh, and Jay Chad, I'm sure, feels the same way. When we got our first opportunity to start traveling with a team, he didn't have to do that. I needed to learn from somebody. It, It needed to be somebody. It didn't have to be him. Right. But he did, and that, that was a blast being able to ride on his coattails and learning what it's like to travel, learning what it's like to uh, where we pick up our bags and who we tip and where we need to go to dinner and things like that. It was it was awesome. We had uh, a day game in New York, and, and all of that was certainly uh, – it left a mark on me about how to – Pay it forward, if you will, so that you teach the next next generation how to do these things. And for a couple of years, uh, I thought it was incumbent upon me to take some of the young outfielders out. And in New York, I, we had a night off, and uh, I took uh, this one that I remember in particular. Uh, I told Fran Coor and Ryan Langerhands and Kelly Johnson that we were going to Sparks Steakhouse for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't make any other plans. So we did. We had our table. We're eating or we're getting our, you know, a cocktail before dinner, getting ready to order. And Frank, Frank Coors nowhere to be found. I mean, he came with us, <laughs> but he's gone. He's not sitting at the table. And I'm asking, I said, where did Jeff go? And Langerhands and Kelly both went, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if we'll see him tonight. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, Clemson's on TV. They're playing football on TV, and he's over at the bar watching the football game. <laughs> That's so him. But he came back long enough to eat. Yeah, exactly. Got his meal in, then back to the football game. Uh, let's see. We have time for one more. Uh, let's see. This is from Chris. Uh, Hey, guys, I'm sitting in the car on the way back to Perry from watching Mississippi beat Montgomery. 
um, nine to four in, in Montgomery was the final score. It was they they named the team that night the Montgomery Kimchi or Korean Heritage Night. He goes on to say it was a great game and a fun place to take in a game. But I grew up in this area going to biscuits games, so I know what to expect. I remembered a few weeks ago Ben mentioning being on the podcast team. I'm sorry, being on the broadcast team for Mississippi back in the day. So my question for Ben is: Did you travel with the team at that time? If so, what minor league team slash stadium slash cities were your favorite to visit? And for all three of you, what are your favorite quirky minor league alter egos that you have seen, i.e. Montgomery Kimchi or the Zolos de Gwinnett? Uh, and that's from Chris. You know what, Chris? I'm, I've, I've seen that with some of these minor league teams. I'm not very familiar with those alternate ego names. I, I've only seen the one in Gwinnett, so I guess I'll just have to by default go with that one. But uh, that's a good question because I'm sure I mean, you're in a good league in the PCL. Had some really good stops along the way out there. In the Southern League, my favorites were um, Jacksonville was fun because they'd pack it out. Uh, they, Thirsty Thursdays were the big night. So if you're in Birmingham or Jacksonville or someplace that had a university or college nearby, they'd come out. And then they'd go out after the game, and that was th- Thursday night was like the Super Bowl uh, in the minor league. So I think Birmingham and, and Jacksonville were probably two of my favorites. Chattanooga was one of my favorites, too. I love calling games at that ballpark in Chattanooga. Uh, but some good stops, and I know you had a bunch of good ones along the way. Well, we had big cities. You know, and you're playing in AAA, you're in pretty big cities. And our division alone uh, in the Coast League was uh, my home team of Albuquerque, then Tucson, mm-hmm. and Phoenix, and Salt Lake City. That was our division i mean those are all good cities uh i wouldn't say they were all great ballparks but they were uh, good cities places to visit you you go to the mormon tabernacle Mm -hmm. check it out when you're in salt lake city and then in tucson and phoenix you're just trying not to melt (laughs) but um you know they all had qualities uh the other division in the coast league uh Portland, Tacoma. Uh, when I was in the Northwest League, uh, Vancouver was in it. Vancouver, Vancouver was awesome. Beautiful city, really clean city, and Spokane, Washington. So there were some there were some big time American cities. They may not be among the top twenty in terms of population or whatever, but they were they're great American cities and a lot of fun to visit. And um, you don't want to. I, I always preface this with. Uh, you don't want to play your whole career there. I and mean, I felt like I was about to. I was about to run for mayor in Albuquerque. <laughs> but um, but it was a good league and, and fun. Um, alter egos is a funny thing. You know, th- we didn't have alternate jerseys or any of that stuff in those days. They didn't change the names or, yeah. you know, even Cinco de Mayo. That was not a holiday for to be the Los Dukes. We were the Albuquerque Dukes. It just didn't happen. <laughs> I, I bet a lot of teams were just, they, they had the same name as the big league club, just changed the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have had you know, the San Francisco Giants might have been Phoenix Giants. Phoenix Giants, yeah. And you know why? Why's that? Hand-me-down unis. That makes sense. They didn't have to buy new uniforms. They just get the Giants uniforms from the year before. That makes sense. <laughs> or two years yeah, before. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, we're out of time for today, but hope that hopefully you'll tune in tonight. Game two in the series, Braves and the Rangers this evening from Texas. And uh, enjoyable uh, podcast episode today. Thanks to everyone for uh, for sending in your emails. You can do that again, bravesbooth at gmail.com. Good questions. Keep them coming. Yeah, those were good. So until next time, for Jay Jad and for Joe, I'm Ben, and you have been inside the Braves booth. Okay.